In the opening remarks of his gospel, Luke tells us that many people have set out to write an account of the events that have been fulfilled among us. They used eyewitness reports circulating among many of the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I've also decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything you've heard. Now, Theophilus may have been a person's name, but it also means friend of God. Not necessarily agape of God, lover of God, but a friend who's open and willing to take this journey to learn and try to understand who is Jesus Christ and how does he impact and transform our lives. So Luke did this research that we can be confident that he, we are reading the words of Jesus through the eyewitnesses who were there with him and that we can depend on this authorship and the inspiration of God of the Holy Scripture. Now this part of Scripture, chapters 12 and 13, especially to 13.9, verse 9, are really unique in some ways because it seems that Luke had, had researched with a lot of the disciples that we may not even know their names. And so there's a whole bunch of little pieces of sermon kind of topics that Jesus had given that are all put together. Now, what we can count on, it was when he was on his way to Jerusalem, when he, knew, when he was traveling and these crowds were following him. He's coming to the, the climax of his three years and he knows he's going to die in Jerusalem. And that's, that's an important context when you start thinking about the tone of what Jesus was saying here. And so as he's, he's going there, but this collection is a little hard to find context on because it's like, it's the Pharisees here, it's the crowd here, it's the disciples here. And it's, you know, you have these different kinds of pieces. But I think this, the scripture that the lectionary has for us to preach on today uh, has a context that, that's very important as well. So let's take a look at verse 49 and 50. It is fire that I have come to bring upon the earth. How could I wish that it was already ablaze. There is a baptism I must undergo and how strained I am until it's over. So now how I read that and the tone is sort of the traditional way of looking at it. When people pull that out of context and they begin talking about, you know, Jesus bringing division or whatever, it just seems like an angry, aggressive statement, almost a declaration of war. But I suspect we're really reading it with the wrong tone of voice. Instead of anger, Jesus might be expressing more anxiety and, and grief. And, and we have some clues to that. In one of them, he says, there is a baptism I must undergo in Jerusalem. And we know that's the crucifixion. And how grieved I am, how strained I am until it is over. One of the challenges in Bible study is to discern the tone of the written word. You know, is it something that, that Jesus is saying real intensely? Is this something that he's mulling and pondering and, and stirring in his heart? And so, so it's very difficult. And I, I actually think there are several places in the Bible where Jesus is being humorous, where he's saying something really funny, but we read it, you know, just sort of with the words and not recognizing that in that interaction with Nathaniel is one example. 
um, the woman who the crumbs under the table, and actually a, a, a verse that's in this scripture today, um, I think it's much more of a, there's a playfulness and a humor if you know the backstory and those kinds of, of interactions with it. So it's very difficult to get the tone, you know, so we have to look at the, the words and the word choice, the original languages, and the context. And the context is Jesus is moving progressively towards his death, towards where he is going to die. And that a lot of his description here, when he's talking about um, this fire that has come upon the earth and this baptism he's about to face, need to be read a little differently, I think, than we do when we pull it out of context. Uh, I think Father James is the one who um, showed us a coffee cup that said, I can do all things through a verse taken out of context, you know. And, it, and it's really true. We've got to recognize this narrative of what God has done for us and the redemption of the world, the redemption of us individually. So do you remember where you heard the words fire and baptism earlier in Jesus' life? John the baptizer, John the forerunner, as our Orthodox brothers and sisters uh, call him. And he says, I baptize you with water for the forgiveness of sins. But Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So Jesus' statement in this chapter 12 where he says, this fire that, that Jesus has come to bring upon the earth, he wishes it had already been done. <laughs> he wishes the Holy Spirit was already flowing through the folks. And, and, and he knew that it was going to be 50 days after his resurrection on, on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit explodes in the lives. And he's just, he sees all the stuff. He experiences all these things. And I think it's very reasonable that Jesus would be pondering and, and mulling these things over in his mind as opposed to it being a, an aggressive statement as a statement that is really something that he is, is sharing his heart in that context. Now, remember, Luke is getting this, these pieces and putting them together, you know, in, in this narrative of, of what Jesus said. So this fire is not a literal fire. He's not wanting to burn up the world, but it's a, a fire in our souls through the Holy Spirit that transforms us and transforms the world, whatever trials life may bring. So let's approach this scripture with a little different tone of voice, I suggest, instead of the angry voice. Now, Jesus had the ability to get angry, but if you look at the scriptures, he's usually raising his voice and being angry at the religious and political leaders. With the sinners, he is gentle and, and, and welcoming and bringing them into the kingdom of, of God. So again, that's another little bit of a clue that if he's talking to this crowd, that the tone that he is bringing to it is not necessarily an aggressive, accusing, you know, um, harsh type of a tone. I came to cast fire on the earth that it, and would that it already be kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. Remember, he's on the way to Jerusalem to be crucified. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Wow. You know, with this tone, you get a completely different sense of this statement. His desire for the Holy Spirit, his desire for this baptism that he's going to face. So now we've talked about fire and water, the fire of the Holy Spirit and the water of baptism. But I think these same emotions can be used in looking through the rest of, of this unique passage. 
Do you think that I've come to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, not peace, but division. Again, the tone here is important. Taken out of context, it could be used to justify a whole host of evils. Do you think I came to bring peace on the earth? No, I came to bring division. And, and you, you see people with that attitude, and it's like, wait a minute. Let's back up a, a while here. Not just pulling that out of context, but let's look at the, the ongoing, consistent, redemptive narrative of Jesus Christ and of the, the biblical um, narrative. I think it's more of a, a descriptive reality, not a you should go do this, a prescriptive reality. I think he's describing what happens when people are changed, when people are transformed within these, these families. And we'll talk about that. It's not a scriptural justification for violence or division. It helps us see this statement is not at odds of much of what Jesus said elsewhere. But the reality is that his coming does create division. It does divide us. He is not of the world. If we are of the world, the world would love us. We are following Jesus. And he says, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be rejected. You're going to be driven out of your synagogues and your churches and, and wherever if you're, if you're following me. Um, and so it, it, there is this division that he's observing and saying, this is what I, what I came to do. Because he wanted to be divided from the status quo, from the corrupt institutes uh, of that day and, and of the day today institutions. So the world resists the change that Jesus brings. He's come and does bring division, but God is never the author of evil, of any sort of evil. So what follows here is where the ice comes in. For from now on, there will be five people divided against each other in one house. Three against two and two against three. It's going to be father against son. It's going to be son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Mother-in-law even gets in the mix. And mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. And it's going to be, it's going to be a divided, divided house. It's a reality. But you know, just the thought of this kind of discord just, just brings ice to your soul doesn't it? In the family, the place where it should be warm and loving and accepting of our differences, that when it gets divided and it gets barriers and people, you know, cut each other off and all, it's just like, it's just like cold, freezing feelings in a place that should be warm and welcoming. I really, um, I love my mother's saying to us growing up, and she said, you know, I'm going to love you always and forever. And even if you were born with two heads, I'd love them both. <laughs> That's what home should be like. And we can't let anything divide that and pour ice and cold on top of a place that should, should really have the warmth of a hearth. Do you think my coming will bring peace? This is my paraphrase. No, sadly, it will bring division, even in many families. Now for the storms and the stormy weather. Jesus said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once it's going to rain, and so it does. And when you feel the south wind blow, you say it's going to be hot, and it is. You frauds, again, this is where I think that was probably he was chuckling 
you know, he's talking to a crowd of, of non-believers, and he's, he's and, and so I, again, I'm reading that in, you know, I'm sure there are many scholars who would want to put me in jail over that, but, um, <laughs> you're, you know, you're, you're, you frauds, you know how to interpret the, the look of the earth and the sky, why can't it interpret the meaning of the times that we're in? So let's start with the weather. One of the amazing things about living in Gainesville, Florida, is the predictability of the unpredictable scattered thunderstorms. Um, and it probably has something to do with 75 miles to the uh, east is the Atlantic Ocean and 55 miles to the west is the Gulf. And we're up here at the pinnacle, 177 feet above sea level. So that may be why the hurricanes always kind of go around us because we've just got this great, you know, elevation. And so we get these patterns of scattered thunderstorms that you could almost set your watch by in August, you know, at the two o'clock in the afternoon or whenever they're going to come through. What's amazing about it is that they may just pour on the yard a block away from you and your grass is all leaning that direction saying, please, please give me some water. But then the next day, it may come and pour on your house. And then, you know, the other folks over there are leaning this way. And the, the streets flood. And it's just this deluge of water. And then in 15 minutes, it, it goes on by. Our son, Robert, who was living here for a while in, in Gainesville, uh, when he first had moved here, he was doing some work for us in, in the yard. So he had his tools out. And, you know, here comes the thunderstorms. So he starts wrapping up everything and starts, you know, going home. I said, Robert, wait, this is Florida. All you got to do is just go get under some shelter for about 15 minutes, and then it'll pass, and then we can kind of go through this cycle again of what's going to go on. If we, everybody shut down when it started raining in the state, nothing would ever get done. I mean, you couldn't, couldn't make that work. God is everywhere. And he is in the midst of the storms, and he's around the storms, and he is, is near and he is far. Jeremiah reminds us, am I only a God who's nearby, announces the Lord? Am I not a God who's also far away? Who can hide in secret places that I can't see them, announces the Lord. Don't I fill heaven and earth, announces the Lord. So since we're in Florida, here's a quiz, and this is as we move into the weather section. What are the four phases of the hurricane season? This is not on the test. Prepare, endure, recover, and repeat. And so we go through this, this cycle. And so let's take a look at these four um, experiences in terms of reading the signs of the time. Because so often we read signs of time, we're worried about things we have no control over instead of taking a, a closer look at home about things we actually do have some control over. And so the hurricane's coming, and, and it, it's unpredictable, but it gives us some time to prepare, right? You don't know if it's going to come through this area, but you've, you've got some time as opposed to a tornado or, or some other things. Um, and if you wait too long, though, because it's unpredictable, you might get in a situation like I got in with Hurricane Irma and all the gas is gone. And so I decide I'm going to sit, go through it. And um, so the first step is to prepare, okay, to prepare for the storms in your life. If you haven't learned this yet, you will. These storms will come and they will go. 
and that we have to prepare ourselves before the storms, before the storms hit, just like with the hurricane. And a twist on an old adage is if you fail to prepare, then prepare to fail. You cannot just go out and run a marathon, for example. You have to do a number of steps to do that. No matter how hard you try, you have to train to get to that point of running a marathon. Um, and then probably several lifestyle changes that are involved in, in running a marathon. Same thing's true about prayer and preparing your heart for the storms in life that are coming your way. If we have no prayer life at all and the storm comes and we're trying to to pray and get our mind around prayer and how that works. And then that's like trying to go out and run a marathon. That's very, very difficult. But when we prepare, we're preparing not only our heart, but we're preparing our environment and what's around us. Uh, we prepare for storms of life by replacing bad habits with good habits, by removing toxic people out of our life and connecting with people who are, are life-giving and who are supportive. And so these friendships that you develop it will give you the, the support system that you need when the storms come. It's an important part of, of taking care of your spiritual and your relational and your emotional growth before the crisis come. We prepare. At, once a crisis hits, once a hurricane hits, is not the time to be going out and checking your plants and everything. You just, you just hunker down. I'm sure there's a Greek word for hunker, you know, and hunker down actually means to stoop low, but to also engage in the fact that you're not going to give up. You just, you just wait and try to get through it. So in a hurricane, you actually do both. You stoop low and you, you just endure it. It's not a time to really be worrying about how you feel in, in these, these situations. You're in the midst of the crisis. You've just got to produce. You've just got to get to the hospital. You've just got to deal with whatever's going on, and then there will be a time of recovery. But when you're enduring, you just got to know this is, we just got to step up and go to that. Kathy and I have a saying that uh, we have called going into mission mode. And so when my stepmother told us I think she was in her early 80s, that she was going to have her third open heart surgery. And we were the kind of the primary people, you know, taking care of her. We just took a deep breath. We looked at each other and said, okay, we go into mission mode. We go into this, this phase of we're not going to think too much about how exhausted we are. We're just going to keep going and giving um, until the crisis has passed. I bet you everybody in here can relate to that. But then there's this next phase, which is recovery, and recovery after the storm's passed. But don't, don't think that God in the middle of the storm has forgotten you. Don't think that, okay, God, step back. I got this. I'm just going to keep going on and keep going. God is, is actively working, is in the middle of the storm, and, and is, he's with us. He's paying attention. The Holy Spirit is actively working in, in every situation through the hands of the surgeon, through the support you know, from the, the community, through all these different places, through our willingness to receive help, which is sometimes much harder than giving help. Through these, God is working as we're enduring. Sometimes it's just the strength to keep on breathing and keep on making the next right decision. So now we come to recovery. The storm is over and the sun comes back out. The hurricanes pass by. 
And after Irma, we go out and the road's just covered with branches and trees are down and all these things. Um, and it's, it's kind of amazing. We had just moved to Gainesville, by the way, um, and Kathy was in Iceland with, uh, with our sister-in-law on a trip. And so we go out and uh, she missed that one. Um, but there's debris everywhere. And what was remarkable is I didn't know any of my neighbors before that hurricane. We had just moved there. But now all the neighbors are outside and cleaning up and helping each other. And, and it's really, that was the most bonded time we had was in the aftermath of the crisis in the hurricane, of the hurricane when it was passed. And, and we're, we're kind of sharing numbers and we're, you know, supporting each other, finding out what everybody needs in that recovery. Now, there's a reason that post-traumatic stress disorder is called post traumatic stress disorder because all those emotions you had during the storm in your life all that I can't think about that now I've just got to do all that is still there in the recovery and so it's a time to be willing to to help others but it's also a time to be willing to receive help and to depending on what the crisis was it may you know, be counseling, it may be medication, it may be support groups, which was really important to my stepmother after my father passed away um, in, in terms of having people and having community. And this is another um, reason to be hopeful, that God is with us all the time. He's with us in preparing, he's with us in crisis, and he's with us in recovery and Here's the bad news. There is going to be a repeat that comes at some point. So even after you go through something and you think, I wasn't very prepared, now's the time to be prepared and to, to do that. But then God wants us to use that experience for the benefit of others. The difference between a wound and a scar is a wound still hurts. And a scar is a story that you can use to help other people who are facing the same kinds of struggles and the same kinds of, of places. Now, there's several good places to start as servants um, in building this servant support system. Life on the porch with the men, life on the porch with the women, and this, this new uh, ministry there at the women, community groups, covenant groups, catechisms, uh, servants book study, prayer ministry, women's fellowship, and Bible study. In fact, there's over three dozen places that you can plug in to either serve or, or to connect and to, to prepare for the, the, the struggles and the storms that will come in, in some day. And you're going to learn more about this um, in the announcements as we, we tell you a little bit more about what's going on uh, with the new app that we're they're developing. And, and just getting all this very clarified in terms of where you can plug in, where you can use your experiences and give to others. There's no need to make this journey alone can you probably will survive it but really we are so much better together we're so much better when we have friends who prayer pray and care and are part of our lives come what may god is with us in closing i'm going to direct us back to our encouragement from hebrews 12 therefore since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.